Well, hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Tina Green Academy podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Sylvester, and I'm pleased to be joined by a PGA professional originally from Western New York and now resides in Maryland, uh, J.P. Lund, who uh, you see here on the screen, or if you're listening, uh, J.P.'s going to say hello. J.P., good to have you, man. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, real quick, I, I want to tell everybody a story how uh, we connected originally. Gosh, this had to be 2010, maybe. Uh, Sabres are playing in D.C., and we had these uh, road crew parties that we started. And uh, you and your wife came to the party. Uh, that's where we met, um, at the Bill's Backers Bar, I think, where we had it. And then we just reconnected uh, just over a week ago. And, and you couldn't believe I remembered meeting you. Uh, you know, no you know, chance. When pe people hear your story, they're not going to forget you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was great meeting you back then. Great to reconnect with you. Good to see you again. I appreciate it. I still, I still can't believe you remember. I had no idea. I was like introducing myself and telling you about it. And you're like, I know who you are. I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Some well, people know, are like that though. You know, what's cool about that, um, those events is, well, I think part of it was you gave me your card. So that, that was probably part of it. Um, and being in golf, maybe uh, part two of it. But the cool thing about those parties, we did those all around the country and get to meet, you know, a lot of great people from Western New York and, I may not remember all their names, but I certainly remember a lot of the faces, and it was just really uh, great to connect. And I think for ex-Buffalonians, which are uh, all, over, all over the place, a, a nice little slice of home for that. It's true. I mean, being from Buffalo, you, you're always a Buffalonian, and you're a diehard Bills and Sabres fan no matter what happens. And to be able to connect with other people that are like that, that those things are just um, – it's so rare to happen and everybody from Buffalo loves being from Buffalo. And it's just, it's a great thing to be able to get together and meet more people like that. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go a little out of order than what I talked to you about before uh, we started recording the show, um, because I think, I think it's a good story of how you got into being a golf professional and the uh, impetus for us to reconnect. And that was the passing of uh, Lonnie Nielsen um, just a, a few weeks ago who, uh, you know, for those listening, you, you know who Lonnie Nielsen is. Um, I assume non, but in case any non-golfers are, are listening to this, Lonnie Nielsen was a longtime uh, golf professional from Craigburn Country Club. And if the name really sounds familiar, that's because he competed professionally on the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour, a two-time winner on the Champions Tour, and more importantly, a champion in life, just a, a super guy. But JP, I, I'll let you take it away because I know he had a profound impact on your life. He did. Um, you know, I, I grew up playing junior golf and uh, at Orchard Park Country Club and Craigburn Club. And uh, we, I just, I love the sport. I grew up caddying and, and playing and, and was always around it. But back when Lonnie started at Craigburn, probably, I think it was 84. Um, I basically, I think that was one of the first years I was at Craigburn. We had moved over there because the practice facilities were so good. And um, that was when I really kind of loved the game of golf and knew I loved it. And Lonnie accepted me into the, into the pro shop. And I don't mean that by like, you know, welcoming me when we came in. I literally hung out in the pro shop. I was behind the counter in their office all day, every day. And 
I think when he had started at that point, I think Steve Carney was there who has <laughs> just absolutely dominated everything going on in Western New York recently. Yeah. Um, but Steve and Lonnie just, they let me do whatever, not whatever I wanted, but they just let me hang out and absorb everything that was part of that golf shop. And I just remember it was, I felt lucky when they, and I know, I know for a fact they did this to get me out of the Odyssey, go pick the range. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. I got something to do. I got responsibility. And they just get away from us. But I mean, they were, they just, they allowed me into their home and, and into their lives. And I loved it so much. It, it was what kind of steered me towards that. I never had a thought of being in the business until I met Lonnie. And Lonnie welcomed me with open arms and, and was able to kind of give me the path to, to, to go that way. It sounds like he, um, you know, he, he made it um, a, a fun place to be. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, I, I hear golf officials say like, oh, well, you know, we don't get to play golf. Like, you know, they're, it's a job. But it sounds like he made it look like not a job to you, which made it appealing. Absolutely not. I mean, that, I, I treasure that relationship so much. And, and it was because what he allowed me to do, I mean, it, it wasn't even just golf. I mean, he, he helped me with my golf game and he helped, he helped me learn about, I mean, everything I know about club repair, I owe to Steve Carney. I mean, Steve was a, a tinkerer and, and was so good at club making and, and club repair. And, um, you know, they, they just taught me everything and I, I just absorbed it. Um, Lonnie, I, Lonnie actually invited me into his house. I, um, you know, I would stay all day and I'd stay till dark and, and I knew I was going to be there first thing in the morning. He said, come on, just crash on the couch. And he had a house right on property at the time. And I would just walk over, sleep on the couch, get up and start the next day. And Lonnie and his wife, Mary Jo, were just, they were just all inviting and treated me as one of their family members. And um, I just, I can't explain how, how great that was to have that growing up as a kid. Do you remember a one specific conversation that, you know, you may have had with Lonnie say, Hey, Lonnie, I, I think I want to do this. Like, this is what I, I want to be uh, a golf professional. You know, I, I don't even know if I really knew then. Um, it was the experiences that he allowed me to, to have to make me understand how much I did appreciate that. I, I don't think I even appreciated it until I got out of there. Um, when I started, when I went to school and, and started playing golf teams and, um, I, I don't know that we had a conversation. It just, it was what he allowed me to experience. I mean, I remember the first year I was there, he asked me to caddy for him, um, in the U S open qualifier. <laughs> and I, I mean, I just thought that was, you know, I thought that was a cat's ass. So that was the greatest thing in the world. So, you know, we went to Oak Hill for the regional qualifier and he made it. And we went the next, the next sectional. Uh, which is if you made it, you were at the open, was at Sharon Country Club down in uh, Cleveland. And it, I'll never forget that because 84 um, was the first year that Arnold didn't get an exemption. He actually wouldn't take the exemption for the open. So Arnold was there qualifying um, at the same time. And he actually played in the group in front of us. And it was 36 holes all in one day. And I just remember the crowds were pretty, pretty good size back then. I mean, I think I was 16, 17 years old and I'm just, I was in awe. And I remember after, after we played 
the first 18 and we had to get ready to go out for the second 18. We were going to grab some lunch and we went into the clubhouse and Lonnie goes, have a seat over at that table and I'll be right over. I have to, I have to make a phone call real quick. And I remember looking at the table and it was Arnold Palmer. I'm like, I'm looking at He, I don't think he knew that Arnold was there. He knew because Arnold, Lonnie knew all these guys from playing the tour. And we sat and had lunch with Arnold Palmer that day. And I was a 16 year old, 17 year old junior golfer. And I, I was just, I was floored. I, I'm sure I was useless the second 18. <laughs> sure I was useless. And I'm going to guess that um, having lunch with Arnold made you feel like you belonged there. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I ever felt I belonged, but at the same time, I, you know, he was kind to you is what I'm saying. Like Arnold he was, he yeah. was, and yeah. it, it's funny. Everybody always asks, did he drink an Arnold Palmer? And I said, are you kidding me? I couldn't even feel my hands. I don't know what the heck he was drinking. It was, uh, um, I met Arnold once and I'll never forget. I was a young reporter and it's funny. I was, when Arnold passed, I had mentioned this, and Bill Whippert, the paragraph of the Buffalo News, sent me a text. Mm -hmm. I have that photo. I have a photo of you um, with Arnold Palmer. I'm like, you kidding me? And uh, immediately sent it to me. I'm like, wow, it was, it was amazing. Um, meeting Lonnie was amazing, too. Talk to me about Lonnie as the player. You caddied for him. Can you describe – I mean, this is a guy who competed in the PGA Tour, um, had that you know, break for a career, um, and then went to the Champions Tour and and won. Uh, that's not easy to do to, to jump back in that competition. So you can kind of talk to me about what kind of player he was and just how good that he was. I mean, winning says it all, but you know what I'm saying. You know, it's funny. It took a while because I I ended up catting for him uh, in the Open qualifiers a lot, and we did it for a number of years. Um, he always made it to the next round and never made it through that other round, and it, probably because I didn't caddy very well. But, he, he would, you know, he'd pull a club out of the bag and, and, and he really didn't ask for a lot. We did yardages here and there and I never read putts for him. He kind of knew what he wanted and he made that real clear right off the bat. But there were times he'd take the club out of the bag and he'd, he'd look at me and go, what are you thinking? I go, I have no clue what in the world you're going to do with that five iron at this time. And, and you know, it'd be this, this punch shot that started to rise up over a second three, a hundred yards down the fairway. And he, he was, he was so good at imagining shots, especially around the green. He had um, he had an old Wilson R90 wedge that was so worn out that there was literally no grooves on it, but it was the one wedge that he always used and he loved at the time. And um, he could do anything with it. He could he he was so good around the greens, and that that really even when we were playing at that high level, or, you know, he was playing at that high level. The guys we were playing with, he was just so much better around the greens than those guys were. Um, he could get it up and down from just about anywhere. But he was usually – Lonnie was pretty straight and uh, didn't miss a lot of greens. But when he did, he was, he was pretty automatic. How did he play Craig Byrne? Like, did he take different lines than uh, – you know, Craig Byrne's got great players and always had great players that have been members uh, there. Uh, what, what kind of lines did he take off of some of the tees? You know, that, that's the funny thing. He never really was much different than everybody else as far as distance. Uh, most of the, his lines were about the same as everybody else. He wasn't longer than everybody else. He was ridiculously consistent. He hit the middle of the club face almost all the time. And um, he, was, he always wanted to be in play. He, 
he would drop down to, I remember back then it was the TaylorMade tour spoon, you know, the little metal wood, which at that time we thought was a big deal, but now it's the size of a, a little pea. But um, he always wanted to be in play in the fairway. And uh, he would always give up yards if it meant he had to, he had a, he knew he was going to be in the fairway. It was amazing to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I watched him play a few holes once uh, at a charity event here. And I was just like, yeah, you can, you can tell, right. <laughs> you can, you can tell when someone's special and Lonnie Nielsen was special. Is, is there one, um, you know, golf lesson that he taught you that uh, sticks to this day? Is there, there's something about the game that he told you that um, you tell your students. You know, he, um, we, there were so many little things that I always remember. We would go to the range and see, that's one of the things I always wanted to try and drag him to the driving range. And what do you think about this? And what do you see here? And what do you want to, and I, I it, at the time I didn't, it wasn't exactly like I was, I wanted a free lesson, but I just, I just wanted to talk to him about golf. Um, but I remember we were always, you know, kind of hitting balls and doing that kind of thing. But the one thing he wanted to make sure we always did was we were always spending more time at the putting green. We always had a shag bag and we always dumped balls out on the putting green and we'd chip and putt all day long. And he, every time, even if we started on the driving range, he would always walk us over to the putting green. What I would, what I would have thought was halfway through the lesson and said, come on, let's hit some putts. Let's work on some chipping and, and whether I wanted to or not, or whether that was something we needed, we always ended up on the putting green at some point in time or ever. And that, that just made you realize that where the importance was in the golf game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, final part on Lonnie uh, for you. Um, you know, what do you think he meant to golf in Western New York to have um, a player of his caliber um, win the champions tour and to have him in residence at Craigburn? I don't know. I, I, you know, Lonnie meant so much to golf, um, to me and golf, to everybody around that. And he touched, um, I just, he was more of a, a, a father figure and a better person than I'd remember him as a golfer. And I think that's, that kind of leads to his aura to me, his legend to me is how good a person he was. He, um, he always kind of, he always had a joke. He always had a story to tell and something funny to, to kind of put you at ease no matter what the situation was. And I remember more of that from Lonnie than I do anything he did on the golf course, but he made it, he made golf available to, to everybody at that time. He was an elite player, but you never felt that he would, he would go out and play with you. If, if he had the time, um, he would give you tips. He would help you with whatever you needed help with, but um, he, he always made everybody feel welcome with golf. We lost him too soon, and uh, I'm sorry um, about the loss of your mentor. I know I told you that privately, but um, I want to tell you that here too. Um, and I want to transition now to um, you, because your story is pretty damn amazing, my friend. Um, you are the 2020 recipient of the Deacon Palmer Award from uh, the PGA of America. And I was reading up on why you received this award. And it's given for somebody who's overcome uh, some, uh, you know, personally, you have a person of integrity and has overcome some uh, personal obstacles. But man, your obstacles, holy smokes. Um, 
and if I have this right, um, you first, um, they noticed a brain tumor, right? I have this right. And then getting the second opinion back here in Buffalo, um, then they found there's issues with your spine. Your, your spinal cord was contracting, right? It was shrinking. And had you undergone the initial surgery for your brain tumor, um, we might not be having this discussion right now. And so you had surgery on your back. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not la obviously I'm not laughing at the, the condition. I, you have to laugh at. Okay, oh well, okay. <laughs> surgery on your back. Then you had surgery for the brain tumor. Tumor came back, and the treatment went away, and it and it came back again. It's like uh, so three times. Three, three times. times. Three times. Uh, uh, hasn't hasn't uh, cancer realized that it's not going to beat you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the third time here, but keep trying. Yeah, yeah, just kind of t take me through that and, and through it all. You've continued to work from what I understand. Like you continue to uh, attend section meetings, your Fountainhead Golf Club, and you're, you're not letting any of these things stop you from accomplishing uh, your professional goals. No, I've done the best I can. I, I mean, we missed some time through the surgeries. I had to, it took a little time to recover um, from both of the, the surgeries that we had. And, Obviously, when you have surgery in, inside your skull, it takes a little bit of, they got to make sure everything's all right. And sure. I'm still not sure they found everything all right, but uh, everybody tell me I need to have my head examined. I guess they were all right. And, um, you know, I, I, those were the only times I really missed any, any work was recovering from the surgery itself. Um, after the second surgery, we tried something different, and I had radiation, which is actually a year ago this week. Um, I started radiation um, for the, the third reoccurrence, and I didn't miss any work for that. It was pretty awesome. Um, I had it in Baltimore, which is about an hour and a half from here. So I, I woke up, drove to Baltimore. Had They gave me the first appointment of the day, and I, I went in at 7 o'clock. I was out of there by 8, and I drove back to work. I was at work by 9.30 every day. Luckily, this time of year, it, it's not eminent to be here early, and, and it would work out well for my schedule. But um, I've been lucky. I had very few side effects from any of the surgeries or the or the radiation, and um, it's just allowed me to keep working and keep kind of plugging along. Um, when I had the surgery, we actually I was um, in doing governance for the association at the time. I think I was vice president or president of the section at the time, and I was able to move some of the meetings around so I wouldn't miss them after I recovered from the surgery. So it worked out to my benefit. Everything. So, you know, everything kind of happens for a reason. I've had, I've had luck uh, on, on my side whenever I needed it. So I just, I just kind of go with it, and it's, it's been kind of fortunate, in my opinion. Well, yes, um, I, I think that's fair to say, um, being fortunate. But I also am wondering if being able to uh, stay active with the PGA uh, section and at the club uh, in, in work, if that's helped you. Um, in your fight. Oh my gosh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I kind of keep, keep a busy schedule and I like to stay that way. And I can't imagine what I would have to do if I was sitting around just waiting for the next pin to drop. And mm -hmm. I don't know how, I don't know how else to handle anything that's going on. You kind of keep, keep your mind moving and keep everything kind of going in the right direction. And there's really not really time to worry about anything else. I just, I've always kind of kept it in my back of my head, just, just to figure out what's next. I mean, 
we got the original diagnosis and we, we actually came to Buffalo for some specialists that were out at, at Buffalo Hospital and, and actually a friend of my dad's that was a, is now a neurosurgeon. They went to Nichols together. So, um, you know, we kind of worked the plan and we just kind of figured out what's next, what's next. And luckily we've had the right people on my corner throughout that whole process. I mean, that first neurosurgeon that I had was the one who, who saw me in pre-op and said, wait a minute, something's not right. You need to go get some scans done. And that's when they found the, the uh, problems with my spine. So, um, like, again, I, yeah. I keep going back to this. I feel fortunate. Everything that's happened to me has happened for a reason, happened in that order for the right reasons I, it, that kind of keep me, keep me on the right side. Were the, were the spinal issues golf related? Or just turned, turned into golf related. <laughs> um, it, I don't think it originally was. Um, it was narrowing of the spinal column, which kind of grabbed my spinal cord. And um, I, I did feel some weird sensations in my fingers and hands, but I didn't know that that's what it was. Um, and it's it's kind of it's thrown me for a loop ever since because it whether that damage did it or the surgery itself did it. I've had some some balance issues ever since, which we're working through now. I think we found some, um, I found a, a physical therapist that's TPI certified, which is awesome. And she's really, we're actually making some strides. So I, it's been about five years since I've had any luck. And now with her help, I'm actually beginning to gain some of that, some of that balance back, which is for golf, obviously important. Do you think being a golf professional and growing up in the game and, um, you know, in a, in a way, having uh, a mentor like Lonnie, um, who, you know, you, you see what it took mentally to play in U.S. Open qualifiers and stuff. Do you think um, and that golf mentality helped you in this battle? Meaning, because, you know, anybody who knows the plays around a golf, hey, you're going to bogey a hole here or there. You may, you may hit one out of bounds. And you, you've got to – what's next, right? The next hole to yeah. – you know what? That's funny because that's one thing I never saw Lonnie. You know, he would get frustrated when he hit a bad shot and that kind of thing. But while we were on the golf course, he, he never really let it bother him whatsoever. Um, he actually taught one of the one of the not real cool lessons that he taught me. Um, we had a qualifier at Craigburn. I was trying to qualify for the youth class of the insurance youth class. It was a huge event back then. And the qualifier was actually at Craigburn. And I, you know, I, I thought that was great. And I remember the guys came running out to me. I was in the middle of 18th fairway and they say, here's the target. And I went, wow, all I got to do is par this hole. And I was dead center in the middle of fairway in 18 at Craigburn. Well, I didn't even come close to par in the hole. Gagged, threw up all over myself. Gagged it. And I'll never forget, I was walking, I was walking out. I never, I didn't make a scene or anything like that, but I remember when I was leaving that night, I stayed until the end. When I was leaving, I remember tossing my putter into the pond on 18 at Craigburn. And I'll never forget the next day when I walked into the pro shop, Lonnie had the putter in the middle of the pro shop for sale and he made me buy it. He made me pay for it. So I, I learned, I learned my lesson. I, I don't know how well I learned it, but I learned my lesson. I, you know, Lonnie, Lonnie never showed that on the golf course. And I, I didn't show it on the golf course, but I, I guess I did eventually. But um, it, it takes a little bit to kind of keep everything under your skin. He was great at that. That is, that is an awesome story. Yeah, they fished it out and they fished it out and had it sitting in the middle of the yeah. pro shop with so weed. What, 
junk all over it and everything. What kind of putter was it, and how much did he charge you? Uh, it was one of those. Um, it was one of the original pings, you know, the, the old Carson pings, the, the one of the first models, and um, I still have it. I, I I still have my. You know, I wanted to copy everything he had. I had a, a set of Wilson Dynapower irons that Lonnie had, and I, I used to copy everything he had because I thought that's what you had to do. But I still kept all that stuff. I have all those clubs, and I, I won't get rid of those things. No, nor should you. Nor should you, <laughs> by, by any means. Um, what is the, uh, if, if you don't mind me asking, so what's the, the prognosis for you? You know what? I, they're never going to be able to get all of the tumor because of where it is. Um, it's wrapped around my pituitary gland, and they don't want to damage that you know, all the function that that provides me. So um, hopefully the radiation uh, did its trick and uh, I get it measured every couple months. So I go in for scans and then we get it measured. And if it hasn't grown, we're in good shape. And, you know, the last two surgeries, it didn't grow for two years and then all of a sudden it exploded the third year. So we're still within that kind of that window right now since it's only been a year since I finished up radiation. So I keep getting um scans and i will just keep knocking it out and you know taking the taking the next step well as i said before i cancer hasn't figured out like hey you, you, you're not gonna win this one jp's uh, got this and we're all rooting for you uh for sure continue good health with that um tell me about the fountainhead club uh where you're at in maryland it's a private club in hagerstown maryland just it's kind of we're about an hour and 15 minutes from baltimore and about an hour hour and 15 minutes from dc um, it's an ex a private club. It's an old Donald Ross design, 1924 Donald Ross design, uh, hosted state open probably every 10 years or so. Um, it's a great golf course all the way back. It's about 6,300 yards. And we had the open here, I think two years ago and, uh, everybody's just licking their chops ready to drive every green and even par one it. So I, I just <laughs> love golf courses like that. And, uh, this this place it, it's it's always immaculate. Uh, I played a lot of courses this year, and there wasn't another golf course in the area any better shape than this golf course was. So the members are proud of it. They 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 appreciate it, and uh, the superintendent does a great job of keeping it in great shape. Keep it below the hole. I'm sure, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Almost every green's front to back, so you can't go over any green on the golf course. Yeah. Donald Ross, guy was a genius, right? I mean, you want to talk about geniuses, right? I mean, the yeah. examples stood the test of time. I mean, this golf course is almost 100 years old now, and it's still, with all the equipment advances and the ball and everything we're talking about nowadays with trying to roll stuff back, it, this golf course lives, and it'll stand up to any golf game at any point. It's, it's such a, a gem. I, I love Donald Ross golf course. All right, so uh, final thing, because we call it TD Green Academy, so we, we love to do tips here uh, you know, with the pros that we have on. And so I'm going to ask you, ask you about keeping the ball below the hole. Easier said than done, kind of like you said, all you got to do is go make a par. All you got to do is keep below the hole. Do you have a uh, tip for our, our, our you know, listeners to, to strategize to keep the ball below the hole? How do they do it? No, I think, I think one of the best things you can ever do, and, and, and it's kind of taking a tip from the tour guys, that every tour guy will know exactly how far it is to the flag, but most of them don't even care about that distance. Find out the distance to the front of the green and go for that distance. 
And, and if you hit it, if you hit it below, it, it'll just give you a parameter that you're always going to be in good shape. You might not hit it right and you'll still probably be in the fairway and nine times out of 10, there's a, there's a neck or an area up there where you're still in fairway and you're still in good shape. But nine times out of 10, it's harder to come back to the hole on a Donald Ross golf course over the green with the green running away from you. So go to that distance to the front of the green, know that distance and play more towards that distance than you do to the flag. It's going to help nine times out of 10, help a lot more than it's going to hurt. All right. That is uh, absolutely great advice. You're right. Cover number. That's, uh, oh, you know, that's exactly right. Good, <laughs> Good call. Talk about that with Jeff Meadis, actually, uh, in the last episode. Uh, know, your, know your cover numbers. Don't ever fly, at the, you know, at the stick. Like, that's just not uh, – and, matter of fact, if you hit the stick, it's probably going to sh- send it even further away. Um, yeah, we all think about, hey, just dropping it right there. That's, that's not how the pros uh, play. That's a, a great approach there. Um, I want you to promise me something. Um, if you come back to Buffalo – here in 2021 that uh, we're going to, we're going to connect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next year uh, for sure. Uh, exactly. We'll, exactly. Uh, with that, they've been certainly exciting. JP, uh, so much, it's so great to spend time with you. Um, best to you in, in your, well, I'd say your fight, but you're winning the fight. Um, <laughs> so keep up the fight, keep doing what you're doing. You got it. And thanks go for Bills, go Sabres. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I'm, I feel privileged to be actually, um, kind of reconnect with Western New York, uh, once a Buffalonian, always a Buffalonian. Yeah, for sure. So uh, thanks for having me. When you get up here, uh, I look forward to seeing you in person and stay well, my friend. Good to talk to you. Thank you.